Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 179. And Donna's still fucking sick and a heavy breather. <laughs> and laughing weird. Because she I can't can- laugh too hard because then she'll start coughing him and it's a whole fucking process. It is. And, and then she blows her nose like this. <sighs> okay, well. And I'm like, girl, you gotta blow harder. Why does she shame me? Because you with a cold is the bane of my existence. Well, you breathing is mine. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> but you know, hopefully, who's not sick of us? Ooh. Well, everyone. True, true, true. True, true, true. But more importantly, these Patreoners. Okay, hit me with them. Thank you so much for being here, Karis W. from Idaho. You are the hoe. Not you, Karis. That Carrie over there. You know, if the condom fits. I mean, use it. Tiffany B. from Tennessee. Amazing radio name. Sheila B. from Florida. Jessica H. from Colorado. Kyla R. from Washington. Claire G. from Mississippi. Okay, then I have the next two I have, by the by, they don't have addresses and we don't know where to send your stickers. So, Joanne S. and Crystal E., if you want your stickers, send us your address. Yes, please. Please, please, please. Sorry, I messed you up. Now you still have two, too. Totally fucked up our rhythm, but you, you know. did. Rhythm of the night. I have two as well. E Heart, we need your address. And Leanne B. We need your address. I know you are across the pond. That's it, though. Oh, all these people with no addresses. Hey, if you join Patreon, you get a thank you letter and stickers. So we need to know your deets. Yes, and some surprises along the way. Hey, but if you know your address and you want to join Patreon and get stickers and a thank you letter and a thank you video and all these other extra bonus things, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. And something we don't talk about a lot is you get a discount on merch. And we're working on revamping the merch because we've had the same merch for 10 decades. We weren't even around and we had it, y'all. We weren't even a twinkle in our parents' eyes. Okay, well, we were, but... No, we weren't. 10 Wait, decades? That's 100 years. They you, weren't even... I thought you said two. I was like, they weren't... E- if, if it was two decades, we would be around, just not as podcasters. That's what I meant. Oh. See, Donna can't do math. <laughs> she also can't understand words I'm saying. But if my words tonight are anything like my fuck up last week... So, y'all know how I did the Church of Wales cult, allegedly. And... I think there was like four of you who are freaking amazing on the Facebook group and the Creepinati Facebook group were like, oh my God, did you know that Israel Keys, the serial killer, his mom is actually a member of the Church of Wells? And I was like, so yeah, I did know that. And that was in my notes and I got so excited that I forgot to say it. So there's that. Yeah, I brought it up to Carrie and she was like, yeah, I didn't say that. And I was like... Damn, I thought I like I thought they were telling us something new. Yeah, I sucked royally. Like because it's okay, you get excited. Yeah, and I'm like, here's all this stuff, and then like, because you know, because then what I do is I get so excited like telling it that I don't like look at my notes very well, and I just tell you about it, and yeah. then I miss I miss sections or get names mixed up. We all remember I Paula mean, and Gertrude. You know why do we have to bring up the past? Because <laughs> that might be my favorite episode ever. Really, Bloody Mary? You know what? (laughs) Really with the Queen Elizabeth? And I just said clean instead of queen? (laughs) God don't like ugly. 
You know what? My research did me dirty. Did it, though? It did, and my brain didn't help. And I didn't bat a fucking eye, as Will says. You didn't. But I did bat an eye on Paula and Gertrude. Yeah, thank God. Well, you're going to bat several eyes on this story. Uh-oh. Picture it. Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, February 24th, 1983. A 21-year-old man named Don Decker was granted a furlough from Monroe County Correctional Facility for that weekend to attend the funeral of his grandfather. Don was serving time for a charge of receiving stolen property. So here's the thing. He attended the funeral, but he wasn't sad to see his grandfather pass. It was just the closure Don needed because he had been holding on to a dark secret since he was seven years old. His grandfather had been physically abusing him since he was that sweet, innocent seven-year-old kid. Don said that he wanted to attend the funeral just to see that evil in his life was really gone And he was hoping that everything would change for him then. Because no one in his family knew about this abuse at all. So he had just been holding on to this secret and he's now 21. Well, things did change, but for the weirder. So Don was hanging with his family after the funeral, but he was getting pretty pissed over everyone being so sad about the grandfather passing, and just all the words of sympathy everyone had and like the good words about him and all the shit they were saying. He was like, you know what? I gotta leave. This is too much for me because he's over here like, oh my God, this man was my abuser and y'all had no idea. And he couldn't bring himself to tell anyone at that point either, you know, but it's like, you know this man as something evil and everyone else is like, oh, you remember with him when he pulled this great little, you know, practical joke? And it's like, I don't fucking care about that practical joke. He abused me. But again, you can't tell anyone. And so it just got too much and he had to leave. Well, his mom didn't want him to stay with her, apparently. So he stayed with his friends. He had met Bob and Jeannie Kiefer. And that's when all the weird shit really started to happen. It was just before dinner and Don was in the bathroom washing up as any good COVID and obviously pre-COVID peeps did. And he had this odd sensation overcome him. Don describes it as the air being sucked out of the room from a vacuum and he was left feeling so cold. Well, the first thing he thought of was the window being opened or something happened with the window. So his eyes, of course, went to the window and that's when he saw the face of an old man and he was wearing a crown and Don said the old man was laughing at him, kind of mocking him. And then all of a sudden there is a pain radiating on Don's forearm. He said it was like deep claw marks on his forearm, but it was from something invisible. So he cleaned himself up because there was blood then, cleaned himself up, went downstairs, and told his friends about it. Well, Bob looked over his arm and was skeptical at first, but Don was like, I swear I did not do this to myself. I couldn't have done these marks. Like, how could I have made them? I swear. Well, after they finished, they were in the living room, and that cold feeling hit Don again, and he kind of just went into a trance. 
At this same time, Bob was reading the newspaper and he felt some water droplets hit his shoulders and the paper, like the ones that hit me when I walk into your living room or when I'm sitting in your bathroom. You know what? Don't comfort me. That duct work is supposed to get fixed in like two weeks. Mm -hmm. And don't even get me started on how much it's going to cost. Oh, gosh. I can't even imagine. I mean, I can. I can. I had to put duct work into my house. So I, I get it. Well, imagine they have to peel back all of your existing shit over your ductwork and then they have to put the coating back on it oh and by the by they have to pull back the insulation that your insulation guy should have not put in on top of that shitty shit anyway yeah so yeah yeah but then the water was worse and when bob looked it was as if it was running down the walls so they called their landlord thinking it was the pipes the pipes they were calling, you know what I mean? You get yeah, it? they're okay. bad. It was bad. Just like the water running down the walls, it was bad. And they were like, can you get over here now? So the landlord, Ron Van Wy, was interviewed on the Unsolved Mysteries episode about Don. And he said that they thought, okay, it's the plumbing. However, he was like, "Mm, actually, it can't be because the pipes aren't here. There's no pipes in the front end of the house to leak. Everything's in the back. And where it would be, it would be like in the kitchen area. And nowhere else besides that living room was having this problem. Well, then after a little bit, he was like, okay, actually, it's not just coming from the ceiling down. It's actually coming like horizontal as well. It's coming from the floor up. It's coming all different directions. So naturally, Ron called his wife, Romaine, and was like, you have to get over here. It is wild. Then they decided to call the police in that order. John Bojan was the first officer at the house that night. He was also interviewed, and he said, I literally had a chill going up my spine, made the hair stand up on your neck. That's how I felt. So he called for backup, and he called his fellow officer, Richard Walbert. So Richard gets over there, and John's like, hey, I need you to be my backup in here, but I need you to go into the house. And Richard's like, "Um, I'm not, till you tell me what's going on, because he thought he was pulling a prank on him. But soon, John talked Richard into going in, and they witnessed that, again, it wasn't just raining inside, which was weird itself, but when they were standing in the door, there were the water droplets moving between them, like horizontally between them, and they were like... What in the blob is going on here? Exactly. Like, wait, uh, that's not normal. Like... Raining inside, not normal. This, definitely not normal. So they were like, all right, we got to run this up the chain. We need to report this to our chief. So on Unsolved Mysteries, it said that the Kiefer's and Don were hungry. And so they walked across the street to get something to eat because they hadn't ate in a while. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's basically my kind of eating. But, I mean, they hadn't been that far out from dinner but okay i'm not gonna food shame but also who wants to walk to dinner (laughs) but also please don't say that they hadn't ate in like it was like they hadn't ate all day yeah 
And it's like, one, he was at a funeral and then an after funeral party, basically. You know that had some good food. You know they had some serious finger sandwiches Oh, there. my God. That is my favorite. Same. And if someone has Rotel dip, oh, my God, heaven. Spinach artichoke dip. Look, this oh. lady was telling me today how she makes her spinach artichoke dip. And I was like. You put spinach in it? Because Carrie one time didn't. You know, one time you forget the fucking spinach. And, and then she's a, like, actually, it's okay without it. So we actually, don't I have to really do like it. Actually, I kind of really like it. No, she said that she puts the white queso. Tell me more. I uh, know. Cream cheese. Mm-hmm. Something else in spinach. I was like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. Does she need to adopt me? I think so. We volunteered her to bring it to work one day. Right? I was about to say, can she, uh, can she give you a sampling of it? Okay. The only people who remained at the house was the landlord, Ron, and his wife, Romaine. Uh, Ron and Romaine. Remained. remained. <laughs> <laughs> well, they noticed something very odd is that the rain pretty much stopped when they all left the house. So they were sitting at the ca- Wait. Remain remains with the rain. Oh, God. That's huh, Millie Vanilli blaming on the rain. But yes, that. And, but they were sitting at the kitchen table like, what in the world is going on? How is this happening? And probably like, what in the world are we going to do? How are we going to afford to fix this for these Preach. people? But again, everything had pretty much stopped. So then they were like, okay, this is fucking weird. And also, you know, they were probably like, okay, it's going to dry out. We just need to get some fans. You know, they had their little game plan going on. They had Service Master on dial. <laughs> right. On dial. Oh, Jesus. But cut across to the restaurant, and Pam, she had seen earlier, because, again, this is happening. And so everyone's like, what the fuck? Why are the police over there over at the Keepers? So Pam was convinced that Don Decker was possessed. She was like, that boy has a demon in him. And so, one, why were you letting him in your restaurant? But I guess she can't turn around and be like, uh, sorry, no demon possessed people allowed. Gotta go. And also, uh, he might leave her a tip. I mean, hard times. We are in a pandemic. Right. So, they're sitting there, and Dawn just kind of goes into that trance again. And around him, you know, they're just kind of talking about him, and he's in this trance-like state. Well, then... Drop, drop, drop. Some water over their table starts happening. So Pam, she is like, you know what? I have a cross in the cash register. Hold on. She goes, gets a cross, and like, put your hand out. Puts it in his hand. And he's like, it's burning. It's burning. And tries to give it back to her. And she's like, told you, demon possessed. That is what I'm talking about. Like, now we have proof. All this stuff. Well, then from all of this commotion... It's now like not just drop, drop, drop. It is a downpour over their table. So now everyone is like, all right, this is weird though, because it was only in that one room where Don was. Now it's over in the pizzeria where Don is over the table where he's sitting. And he keeps going into this like trance. And then this starts to occur. So they get back to the house. That's when Romaine is like, Don, you are doing this yourself. I don't know what you're doing, but you need to stop because you're messing up this house. 
you're causing all this ruckus. And about that time, the pots and pans over the stove started to rattle and shake. Well, just then, Don starts to levitate. So he's just floating over them. And I just want to be like, what? Uh are you like, are you showing your authority? You know what I mean? Like he gets confronted and it's like the pots rattle. And then he's like, I'm taller than you. Like, I don't know. It was just so random. But then he gets pushed back from unseen hands and falls against the kitchen wall. Also, it has to be said that Don said that he's very assertive and that made him feel like he was a newborn. But um What? Yeah, and that he said that he was scared talking about it right then, still. That was in Unsolved Mysteries. But if y'all watch it, it's season five, episode 18. Don is like the most soft-spoken guy who seems super just, I I don't know what else to say other than soft-spoken. So for him to be like, I'm very assertive and like how, how he uses assertive to be, I'm guessing like dominant and authoritative and all of that. But he's like, I'm a big man. I'm strong. I'm all of this. And he tossed me around like I was a newborn. Yeah. But he's just so soft and gentle and whatever. And I'm just like, sir, are you the same person that you're pretending to be? Yeah. Not saying that you can't be both, but it's just, I I don't know. It was just how he was like trying to make himself seem like, I'm sure it was scary as fuck. And if I ever got pushed back from, look, when I trip, I'm like, woo. Anyway, and that was my own stupidity, okay? So if something pushed me back, I'd be scared as fuck. I'd feel like a newborn too, sir. You don't have to try to play yourself up more in some gender role that you think you have to be to make it seem more plausible. Yeah, and more scary and more like, I'm so-and-so. And so like for him to be pushed around, Whoa, that has to be powerful. Like, no, you're a human that got pushed down by an unseen force. That's scary as fuck. Well, fast forward a couple of hours and the officers come back with their chief. He gets rained on just like they did. But he's like, look, these are the pipes and you're not going to change my mind. Nothing's going on here. What the fuck are we doing here? This is not a police matter. Don't write a report on this. Don't file it. Go home going about your business. Don't waste my time anymore. But the officers are like, he just doesn't know how to explain what's going on. And so he's like, oh, it's the pipes. That's it. Bye. But they've literally stated that it can't be the pipes because there's none that would leak right where they're leaking. And they definitely wouldn't be going horizontal. Right. I was going to say floating. Yeah. In the middle of the air and then coming up from the ground, all this stuff. It's literally basic gravity. Yeah. Well, the next day, against the chief's wishes or, you know, orders, three officers went to the Kiefer house and they wanted to see what was going on. One gave Don Decker a cross to hold. The next thing the police knows, Don's saying, oh my gosh, it's burning my hand. It's burning my hand. And he dropped it to the floor. Well, when the police go to grab it, that officer is like, it was kind of hot to the touch. Not like where I had to drop it, but it definitely wasn't the same temperature that I gave it to him at. But once again, Don levitated off the floor. There is another officer, Lieutenant John Rundle, who witnessed this. 
And same thing happened, sans the pots. He's off the ground, but then he gets hit by an unseen force knocked to the next wall. Well, this time though, there's three claw marks on the side of his neck and they're all dripping blood now. Like, so they were deep enough to draw blood. One of the other officers, Bill Davies, when he was interviewed, he said, I've been a cop 40 years and I've never seen anything like this. Never. There's always an explanation when something happens. If you got to investigate, you come up with something. This is why it happened. For this case, there is no explanation. Well, in the background, Ron Van Wyde, the landlord, he's been asking around for someone of the cloth, a preacher, a priest, anyone to come and bless the house, bless Don, whatever. But no one is saying yes until one finally did say yes. But they didn't say of what faith she was, so I don't know. But she started to pray, and that made Don start having seizure-like convulsions. But the longer that she prayed, and she kept just praying through all of that commotion, he seemed to relax. And the more he relaxed, the less rain, the less, you know, all the other environmental things that were going on seemed to happen. And by the time that the prayer was done, everything was completely back to normal. And that was the last time they saw any water in that house at all. What? Like Just like that, it's done? Just like that, it was done. However, Don had to return to that correctional facility because he was only on a furlough. Well, they had put him in like a maximum security cell with a cellmate. Well, all of a sudden, that cellmate was screaming to let him out. So the security guard is like, what is going on? You know, like, why are you making all this noise? And he's like, this guy is making it rain in here. Like, it, he's going insane. And there Don was sitting in a trance and it was pouring, you know, there was just puddles of rain everywhere. Well, at this point, Don realized that he could control the rain. So the guard was like, okay, if you can control it, you make something happen in the warden's office. And the warden's name was Dave Keenhold. Well, Dave was sitting at his desk writing up a report and it was about eight in the afternoon. Like PM? Yeah, PM. Damn, he's at work late. Right? Getting that overtime, apparently. I don't know. Well, nothing's going on. He's just writing his report. Well, this officer walks in, and he's like, "Um, I need you to look at your shirt. And Keenhold, Dave, he's like, okay. Well, right in the center of his shirt, about four inches long, two inches wide, it was just wet. It was just saturated with water. How? I don't know. I don't know. And it wasn't like it was sweat because nowhere else on his body, not his head, like nowhere else on his shirt, nowhere was wet besides this one place. And so Dave is the warden. I don't know. Whatever his name is. The warden's confused and startled, but the guard is freaking out. And he's like, all right. Look, Don Decker, this inmate, he did that to you. 
the warden was like, say less. <laughs> beep, 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 boop, boop, boop. Reverend William Blackburn, because that sounds like someone out of the Salem witch trials right there. Really, though, he was like, look, I'm going to need you to uh, come over here and be ASAP. Like, I know it's late at night, but uh, I'm working. So are you. Get over here because someone just made me sweat and not in a good way. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, you guys, they made me ink. (laughs) Yes. And even the reverend said that Don was very meek and mild-mannered. So, like I said, he just when he said he was so assertive and so all of this, like, vibrato, you know, and it's like, even he said he was meek and mild-mannered. Well, he was like, what the fuck? Like, what? Okay. Like, this guy you're afraid of? Which also, reverend... Don't be so judgy. Don't be judgy. Well, even though you kind of were a second ago. I'm saying, if okay, in jail, if someone's saying, look, we need help from this inmate, and he looks like he's meek and mild-mannered, um, uh, yes, those are, they always say you have to look out for the quiet ones. Mm-hmm. It's literally a saying. Yes. That's what I'm saying. He is in prison. That is what I am saying. Like, you can't trust anyone. You go in high alert. Reverend over here is like, huh, okay, I don't, this, something smells fishy about this. So Don goes on his whole spiel about, I can make it rain, you know, dollar dollar bills, not really, but he's, you know, goes on about, I can make it rain, the cross burns my skin, you know, all of this whole thing. And the Reverend's like, Don, son, it's me and you, you don't have to lie anymore. It's Okay. Well, then, like a switch was turned on, that mild-mannered, you know, person just completely switched on him. And he said, all of a sudden, he had this smell emanate from him. The Reverend was also interviewed in Unsolved Mysteries. And let me just tell you what he was quoted as saying. Oh, God. And the smell came into the room. Nurses and doctors, medical people... Say, when you walk into a room where someone's dying with cancer or something, usually there's a smell. You can tell when you walk into a room. I smelled a smell like that, multiplied five times at least. Evil. Foreboding. I feel like unless they have a fungating tumor, that's not true. I mean, I worked in oncology for a little while, and I mean... I mean... I, you, I mean... You smell that? It smells like that cancerous funk. That's... Like, Sir, that ain't true. I mean, don't get me wrong. A fungating tumor does have a smell. But that's because it's literally a tumor like coming out of your, like on the outside of your body. But just someone that has cancer doesn't fucking stink, you fuckface. <laughs> you fuckface. Yeah, well, it just makes me mad. I know. But that's why I had to say it. Like, I had to. Oh, gosh. See, I know you. That's fucking dumb. That makes me mad. I hate him. Death has a smell. Yes. But it's not just, like, specifically for people with cancer. cancer. Like, that's so dumb. And I feel like that just, like, perpetuates this, like, fear that people have of cancer. That it's, like, the C word. You know, it's like, ugh, come on. Don't get me wrong. Cancer's terrible. And I'm not saying that, like, we shouldn't be fearful of it. Because, I mean, people fucking die from it. But I'm saying it just perpetuates this ridiculous, like, boogeyman mentality. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it totally does. Because people are still like, 
I have cancer. It's it's okay. Like nobody's gonna catch it from you. It's nothing to fucking be ashamed of. It's not like somebody's gonna catch it from you. Chill out. Meanwhile, Donna's grandma still whispers, pregnant. She do be like that sometimes though. I was like, tell me the lie. Tell me where the lie is. <laughs> well, so the smell came and then Don raised his hand, rubbed his fingers together, and all of a sudden it started to mist. And to have that fine mist rain, the kind that I can't fucking stand. And that's when the Reverend knew he was in the presence of evil. And again, Don was kind of in a trance, but not really. He was more alert this time, but he had that shift in his personality. You know, he wasn't that soft-spoken person. He was more assertive when he was taken over by whatever was making it rain. So the Reverend opened up his Bible and started to read the Bible to him. And at that point, everything was getting wet besides the Bible. Jesus. Literally. Literally. The Reverend said that he pretty much was praying and speaking the word of God more for himself than for Don at that point, because he was like, I don't know what the fuck to do. I mean, he didn't say fuck. I'm sure he did in his head, but he didn't say it out loud. But he's in a locked cell, and it's mist and rain, and then not getting on the fucking pages of the Bible. Well, once again, the longer he prayed, the longer he spoke the word of God, the more calm Don seemed to get, and everything subsided. Why, though? If he really is possessed... Why the longer they do it, does he chill out? Like, I don't know. You think it would be the longer they did it, the more aggravated he got. Or, you know, like, well, uh, it's, um, it's like he does, he gets worse and then he gets better. But he just doesn't get as dramatic as the others have gotten before. But at this point, Don was like, thank you. Thank you so much. Like, he could feel the difference. And he was back to himself. And so they hugged and then they prayed together. And that was the last time that ever happened. Ever. What? So everyone believes Don was possessed. Though I feel like it was more of a poltergeist situation because he had just dealt with having to like come to terms with the physical abuse from his grandfather his grandfather dying, you know, him getting out on furlough to go to his grandfather's funeral, like something in that, you know, like maybe because he was trying to like tell himself it's okay, it's over, but it really wasn't over because he hadn't been able to tell anyone, you know, and so he was just dealing with a lot of emotions and he was only 21 years old. Yeah. In a correctional facility, you know, in... I don't know. So I just feel like that was more along the lines to me of a poltergeist or something like that than a possession. And it's like he thought that the cross should burn him. And so that's what it did. But it's not like it left marks on him. And a lot of people are convinced that it was a hoax. However, there are so many people, like more than four police officers who have been on camera 
that say, no, this happened. We witnessed this. And people are like, look, police officers aren't going to just say that just to say it because they get ragged so bad back at, in the squad for being like, oh, you saw a rain man? Oh, really? Tell me more. Yeah. Like, they're not going to do that. And to go against their chief's wishes and continue to investigate in all of this, like, they were putting a lot on the line for nothing in return. And I mentioned that it was on Unsolved Mysteries, but it was also on Paranormal Witness as well. But there is for sure one skeptic, and his name is Robert Bartholomew, and he writes about paranormal stuff for medical and sociology journals, and his research on Don Decker's case was used in Skeptic Magazine, and basically, Robert's like, if things happened like they say it did, why didn't anyone take pictures or video? Because it was the 80s, not the 1800s. True. Also, why not call the news station to record the event or, you know, something? Then he also believes factors such as stress and the weather played major roles in Don Decker's experiences. Because, again, Don Decker was under a lot of stress, serving time in jail, experiencing the death of a relative, like I said, who had abused him. And as for the rain, he said that it's probably ice damming which is caused when like warm air enters the attic, melts the snow on the outer surface of the roof, which results in basically like an accumulation of ice under it, which then has water pull from it and leak. And you guessed it, Pennsylvania is moderate to high risk for winter moisture problems. And one of the most severe problems is ice damming. Okay, but how does that explain? Now, you know I'm a skeptic, and I'm like one that's like, okay, but how do you explain the warden situation? The warden, and it happened in the pizzeria right when he came in, and then leaving right when he left. Like, it's just so, I don't know. You know, like, I don't believe Robert's thing either, because I found this girl, Missy Lee. She commented on unsolved.com. And she said that she was a young girl who was sitting at that restaurant when it rained. And she said that experience changed her life. She said, yeah, video cameras were out then, but not everyone had them because they were expensive. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. The cameras weren't cheap back then. Exactly. But I am less likely to believe someone who just like commented on a Reddit type. Thing. I mean, oh, even though, you know, yeah, like, oh, sure. I was there and it changed my life. Oh, for sure. But she also said that her dad was like, oh, my God, we need a picture of this. Like, what is going on? Because they had no idea that this was going on next door because they were just patrons at the pizzeria. So he's like, okay, I'm going to run down the street and get a camera. But by the time he got back, it was already gone because they were gone. Because, again, you had to buy a disposable camera unless you had one. But, like. Not everyone just carry those around because they were bulkier. Mm, that's true. But also, Robert says, for the eyewitnesses, he doesn't think they're lying, but he said human perception is really unreliable, even in the most ideal conditions. And stress can really alter perceptions. So it's really easy to think that 
oh my gosh, this is all happening. And like, oh my God, it is coming up from the the floorboards and all of this. When a guy's saying he's possessed or, mm-hmm. oh my God, that cross was super hot to the touch when you pick it up, when he said it burnt his hand, etc. Yeah. So there was this other comment on unsolved.com and they said that there is this YouTuber named Alyssa and she uses a medium who channels her son, Eric, who passed away. And this commenter had watched one of the videos, and this one was with Eric answering unsolved mysteries. What Eric said is that there was a possession, and it was just a negative being from the other side attached itself to Dawn, but it wasn't his grandfather. It was an earthbound spirit who was basically in the vicinity and was nefarious. But he also said that it did stop And that the spirit crossed over. The whole thing is like the mom, Elisa, doesn't tell the whole story. She just kind of says an elevator pitch about it. Okay, this last thing, it doesn't really have anything to do with the case. But in 2012, Don was arrested and charged with arson. And some say this makes him less credible. But I mean, he was out on furlough in the first place. So yeah, he has a criminal record like whatever yeah but i had to add it to the story because hello fire and water i mean it was just too funny to me oh i didn't even put that together yeah like rain man like that's what people call him rain man and then he was charged with arson fire like that was just too funny but that is the story of don decker and how he unexplainably made it rain I don't know. I feel like with your stories, if it's a ghost or a possession story, I'm here for it. Like, I will always believe those. Do you think this is a possession story? Yeah, I don't think it's a poltergeist. Okay. So, I'm kind of believing old boy. Oh, I believe him too. Like, it's one thing to say, okay, well, the ice caps are melting in the house. That's fine. (laughs) But how do you prove or how do you explain what happened in those other places? And just, like, there's no way that there's that big of a coincidence that the ice-melting shit happened every single time in those rooms that he was in or the rooms that he, like, so he just knew that they were melting in the warden's office. And that's, you know, there's no fucking way. And that that guard just happened to be like, do the warden. Right. I just don't understand how people can be, like, so religious and believe in God and all of that and then not believe in the opposite like not believe that there are if you believe there's angels then why do you not believe there's demons and why do you not believe that a possession could occur and all that you know if you believe that god can do all these things 100 percent. like how you don't believe in the opposite of his yeah whatever but i believe it was a poltergeist or something like that not a possession well but then how would the thing had been like, okay, it crossed over. Like, I don't feel like a poltergeist like crosses over like that. Well, that's also from a spirit that's being through a medium. True. Well, whatever it is, we know it just hadn't happened again. Okay, this one, of course, like all of mine, was an episode suggestion from our Discord group from a member of Patreon, Creepneece, a.k.a. Ashlyn. And apparently this case has been on TikTok lately. Or at the very least, when she sent the suggestion. Okay, so I want you to picture it. October 22nd, 
2013. We're in Danvers, Massachusetts, which is right outside of Salem, which is so like, it's so weird doing this story because Danvers is where that first town that I stayed in whenever I lived up there for like four months. It was the, where the hotel was I was in. And there's so, it's just like, it's interesting how you can feel such a connection to a case that you literally have no connection because you're like, oh, I live there. And it was like for a month of the four months I lived in Salem, you know, but it's like, no, oh my God, I drove down that street. Like it just makes you feel such a connection. And conversely, it helps you kind of realize how someone who lived in that area and knew the people involved can be so impacted because if you're so like oh my god that's where my town or oh my god I live there oh my god I drove down that road before think about the people who live there and who actually lived through it uh total sidebar though uh Donna talked out her you know little voice over there her little sick sick voice so she may not be commenting as much on this story and that's why but if y'all could only see her eyes Okay, picture it. October 22nd, 2013. Like I said, we're in Danvers. The foliage is beautiful. It's falling to the ground and people are crunch, 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 stepping on it. And it is gorgeous, almost Halloween. It's after school and the soccer coach notices that one of his new athletes isn't at practice. And he's like, hey, what's going on with Philip? Philip Chisholm is his name. So the coach is asking the other players, like, hey, where's Philip? And they're like, I don't fucking know. Well, that night, they also had a banquet dinner for the soccer players. And Philip didn't come to that either. Around that time is when his mom notices that he hadn't come home from school yet. And so she's like, where the fuck is Philip? His mom, Diana, doesn't really have anywhere to turn because Philip is new to the area. His mom and dad had just gotten a divorce. Now, allegedly, his father was abusive. And at the time before they got divorced, they lived in Tennessee together. Well, his mom moved to Florida and then back and then took Philip and they moved to Massachusetts. And they had only been there for a couple of months. And so Diana was kind of like, what do I do? Because he's so new. He doesn't have any friends. Like, there's no friends for me to call because Philip hated the move. He had gone from this more popular student athlete in Tennessee to, while he still played soccer in Massachusetts, he was very withdrawn, quiet, and was very bitter about the divorce and having to move. So she did her best to see if she could find where he was, but after she had done the best that she could to locate Philip, she went to the police station to file a missing persons report. Now, Philip is only 14, so of course, police acted quickly. They ping his cell phone, and they find that the last place that he was known to be based on the location on his phone was a place called the Hollywood Hits Theater. So police go to the movie theater, and Philip's not there. But they did find out, yes, in fact, he had been there. He had bought a movie ticket and then left. So pretty sure he didn't even stay for the movie. So the police try to ping his phone again. And this time, there's no results from it. They're looking at all the social media stuff to see, like, is he posting anything? And there's just no trace of Philip Kism. So the police end up turning to social media to try to help spread the word that the student is missing. All the while this is happening with Philip. Another family across town notices that their daughter is missing. 
But this time, the daughter is actually an adult. It's 24-year-old Colleen Ritzer. And Colleen is actually a ninth grade algebra teacher at the school. Like I said, Colleen's 24 years old. She's in her second year of teaching, and she is loved by the students. She still lives with her parents because, hello, she's 24, and teachers don't make shit, much less your first couple of years. So she's still living with her parents, and they have a really good relationship. So if she's going somewhere after work, she usually will tell them, like, hey, going out with friends, got a dinner plans, whatever. Well, when it's time for her to be home, and she's not home, her parents call her. Well, she didn't answer. So they text her. They do all the things. And she, they can't get a hold of her. So her dad goes up to the school and sees that her car is still in the parking lot at Danvers High. He goes to her classroom. None of her stuff is there. And so he's asking around to people like, hey, you know, have you seen Miss Ritzer? Like, do you know where she is? And they're all like, no, no, no. I haven't seen her. I haven't seen her. I haven't seen her. So they end up reporting Colleen missing as well. Now, at this point... A 14-year-old missing versus a 24-year-old, the minor's going to take priority because she's a 24-year-old that could literally just be at dinner with some friends and have not seen her messages or whatever and just like caught a ride from them leaving from work. So, of course, of the two, the 14-year-old is the higher priority. Word starts getting out that not only is Philip missing, but Colleen is missing too. And it starts a little kind of rumor mill going, wait, this young teacher is missing. Like, is she? Are they? What? And so there's just this unknown time period where they're both missing. And he's a new student, so no one really knows a whole lot about him either. Exactly. So their minds are literally free to just wander. Mm -hmm. And she was the beloved teacher, so it's like, she could have taken him under her wing and then it's like, well, romance blossomed or right. whatever. Well, police end up getting a tip. They hear from, I believe it's one of her coworkers that said, hey, actually, Philip is in Colleen's class and he'd been staying after school like some of the other students do for like tutoring help when they're having problems in math, but he wasn't having a problem. And like, Colleen didn't really know why he was staying after school. Enough that she had even told one of her friends that's a teacher, like, Philip's staying after class. I don't really know why he's staying. He's not struggling. I don't really know why. Now, some things say that on October 22nd, Colleen had actually asked Philip to stay after class to talk about some things. Either way, police knew at this point that Philip is in her class and that one of the last times that anybody remembers seeing them, they were together after school. So from there, he should have gone to soccer practice and then all of that stuff. But he ended up disappearing for a while and then went to this movie theater. So what like and now Colleen's missing. So what's going on? Police are starting to get a little sus about old Philip, though, because there's no sign of Colleen. Now, behind the school, there's some woods. And so, of course, within the searching for Philip, but also Colleen, they start looking in those woods behind the school. And a police officer stumbles on a purse. And they know, okay, that purse hadn't been there for very long, but there was nothing in it. So they didn't know whose or what it was. And then they get a little bit further, and 
buried under some leaves, they see a foot with some pink nail polish sticking out. When they move the leaves, they see that it is Colleen Ritzer's body. Now, I just want to say, content warning, this story is pretty gruesome. So skip forward as you need to, and I'll try to give you some more clues like when it's about to get gruesome. The first thing that they notice is that Colleen is posed very sexually. The other thing they notice is the blood from some sort of wounds. Beside the body, they find a few things such as some gloves and like like latex gloves and soccer cleats. Well, I think that narrows it down. Right. And on the body, there was a letter that said, I hate you all. He's from Tennessee. Well, I know, but I was thinking the same thing. Why didn't he say y'all? But that just kind of loses its punch. Like, I hate y'all. Just doesn't have the same punch as I hate you all. You know? Well, at about 1230 a.m. on Route 1, heading towards the town of Topsfield, which, again, this is one of those things where I was like, oh, my God, I drove that all the time. After I moved out of Danvers and I moved to that, like, horse farm house that was fucking amazing, that's the road I would take home from work when I was working at Salem State University. Like, that's so bizarre to me. And I know people who live there are like, okay. Or like, every time I do another story, they're like, oh my God, that's where I live. I don't know. It's just so close to home, even though it's not so close to home. It was four months of my life, but it was a very important four months, apparently. So on Route 1, heading toward Topsfield, a police officer sees someone walking on the side of the road. Now, picture, this is not like sidewalk side of the road. This is like a hilly type road where there's, I mean, like dark at some points. Because when we would do night classes and I'd have to go home at night, like that road, there were some places where it was super, super dark. And again, it's very hilly. So at 1230, this police officer comes up on this guy walking down the street. So he flips on his light and is like, what you doing over here? Well, as part of the officer's safety, he like pats him down, makes sure he didn't have anything. And they find out, well, one, his name is Philip Kism. And two, he had a knife on him. He also had a backpack. And in the backpack was a box cutter that was bloodstained, a pair of like blue-green women's underwear, and a driver's license and credit cards that had Colleen Ritzer's name on them. So police were like, um, why do you have somebody's driver's license and credit cards that aren't yours? And he's like, oh, I found them. I found all this at a gas station. You picked up found panties, sir? Gross. I mean, you could have a fan, you could have an OnlyFans and sell that shit on the internet. But when they asked him where the blood was from, he said, the girl. Um, what girl? Ruh-roh. Can you give us some more information? So the police take him into custody And bring him to the police station. I do want to back up a little bit and say that when the police were starting to become suspect to the fact that something may have happened involving Philip and Colleen, you know, something with them together, with the help of the school district, the principal, everybody who, of course, was being so helpful, they were starting to look at the camera footage in the school. Now, the school was upgrading to some fucking amazing Cameras, like the kind of cameras that every grocery store, gas station, literally every CCTV footage should be this camera. Some parts where they had 
you know, upgraded to the good stuff, you're like, damn, that's good. And then you could see where it flipped to like an older camera that hadn't been upgraded. You're like, damn, that sucks. But the problem with this is that because they were upgrading the cameras, the computer system had not been fully integrated and upgraded as well. Because again, they were still like in the process. So the cameras were not numbered. And so the police officers were having to go through this footage camera by camera. And we're talking over a hundred cameras to see what happened. So not only were they having to go camera by camera, the computer was old and fucking slow. And you can imagine all the error messages that they got. So here's where I'm going to get a little more graphic. Okay. So if you need to fast forward, fast forward. Based on the autopsy, Colleen had been raped. She had been strangled She had been stabbed 16 times and then raped again with a branch from the woods. My God. That was the part that I was like, she what? Yeah. That like, that is a whole new fucking level. Yeah. And then not to mention being left in a suggestive pose, but then also buried with leaves. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think it was more concealment versus guilt. Yeah. By this time, police are putting the pieces together. And they've got Philip in custody. And he's talking some. But they also have a better picture of what's going on because of the camera footage. Now, I do want to say that this camera footage is available on YouTube. There's a really good video where they just kind of like splice it all together for you. And they're like, how this many minutes later? And and it's really good. And it is so powerful and somber. And I can't even think of all the adjectives to describe this fucking video. And I say, watch it with like, watch it at your own discretion. It doesn't show anything, but it shows so much. We'll link the specific YouTube video that I watched for this on the website, aparanormalchicks.com. Not a plug, just a thing. Okay, but now we're going to talk about a breakdown of what the police saw on this video. So we know that Colleen and Philip were in the classroom. We also have some witness testimony that was in the classroom with them because it was those two and a girl that were, she was there doing like some extra credit work. And the girl said that Colleen was talking to Philip and they were talking about a diff- bunch of different things. Like they had talked about China and then she said something about Tennessee. Philip became visibly upset. And so Colleen changed the subject. Now we know later that Philip says Colleen said a word, a trigger word or a word that triggered him. And then at first he was like not saying what the word was. But then somewhere else I saw that the word was Tennessee. But again, allegedly he was being had been abused by his father and he was having a really hard time with this move. And so it stands to reason that Tennessee was the word that kind of triggered him. And again, he became visibly upset talking about it. So she knew she had to back off and change the subject and let's move on. Let's keep working on your work kind of thing. Well, based on the video footage at 254, Colleen leaves her classroom on the second floor of the building to go to the bathroom. Now, the faculty bathroom was occupied, and so she had to use the girls' bathroom that was accessible to the students. So you see Colleen walk into the bathroom. A minute later, you see Philip stick his head out, kind of look around, 
and go back into the classroom. And then he comes back out, puts his hood on his head, and starts walking to the bathroom. And then you see him reach into his hoodie pocket and pull out latex gloves and start putting those on his hands as he walks into the bathroom. And that, to me, was bone chilling. Because you know what's about to happen, and you're watching him put gloves on his hands to go take this woman's life. And that is so premeditation. Oh, absolutely. About 11 or 12 minutes later, this female student, you see her walk to the bathroom. She goes in the bathroom and then like immediately comes back out and like walks away quickly. When police interview her, she says that it was so fast. She didn't really register what she saw, but she saw like a a butt, like an unclothed butt. And so at first she was like, wait, is there like somebody having sex in the bathroom or like is somebody changing? I don't know. Either way, I got to get the fuck out of here. And so she just saw a naked butt and was like, whoop, and walked out real quick. So she was like, I didn't even process what I saw. I don't actually know what I saw. A minute later, you see Philip walk out of the bathroom after the girl leaves. Philip has a ton of outfit changes during this. Like, I can't even remember them all. Like, he goes in with a blue hoodie. He comes out with the hoodie off. And then he goes back into the classroom after that girl leaves. And then you see him just, like, walking around campus, in and out of the building. He changes clothes into this red hoodie. I mean, like, there's just a couple of outfit changes. And there's no rhyme or reason. And I'm like... What is he doing? Like, she's just laying there in the bathroom. Like, what is he doing with these with these outfit changes? You know, you, you do see him walk out that first time. And clearly, he's going to, like, dump the gloves and the hoodie or whatever he had on that had blood on them. We know that. Because we know that in the bathroom, Colleen was stabbed, strangled, and raped. At one point, when he leaves the building, he comes back in wearing a black ski mask and dragging this recycle trash can, like the waste management, like the the big tall ones that you put your trash in at your house and you put down by the road and then the thing comes and like grabs it and picks it up and dumps it like that kind. My only thing would be for eyewitnesses like, Oh, I saw him in a yellow shirt at two, but then with the ski mask thing, no, he didn't want anyone to know that he was going back in with the waste bin. No, actually not that because, well, let me back up. What I don't understand is that school's out, but people are still walking around, going to their extracurriculars, like the school's bustling and he's walking around with a fucking ski mask on. Like, that's what I don't get. Now, I did listen to this podcast called The First Degree and they did an episode on this and they had an interview with a girl from the town who was a senior when this happened and she said that him pulling the recycle bin wasn't that big of a deal because a lot of times the custodians would ask some of the boys to like carry them out for them. So she said herself, like had I watched him going back and forth with that trash can, I would have never thought a second thing of it because that was a norm around there. I bet they don't fucking do it anymore. If only employees now, but it would not have been out of the norm. 
And you can even see in these back and forths of clothes changing, you can see him like literally stop and talk to people. Like there'll be people walking down the hall that he passes. Like one guy's like dribbling a soccer ball and like he stops in the middle of the camera frame and like it looks like they're talking to one another, but you can't see Philip, but you can see that guy stopped like talking to somebody, you know, just kind of playing around with the ball. You see him pass a teacher who's leaving for the day. It's just all of these people think that they're just going about their days. Like they have no idea that this kid that they're passing has just committed this horrible crime right down the hall. So you see him in the video, bring the trash can back into the building with his ski mask on, which is so creepy to me. Cameras with people with ski masks are so scary. Well, people with ski masks are so scary. They're never skiing. He brings the trash can to the bathroom And then after a couple of minutes, you see him go to the elevator with the trash can and then out of the building towards the parking lot. One thing I saw said at about 3.30, this mom of a student says that she sees him running because in the video, he's always running wherever he's going. That's another thing too. Like literally he's running down the hall at one point past a teacher that's leaving for the day and she wasn't like, no running in the halls. Like it's just everybody's just going about their shit. But that video I watched showed it was like 20 minutes, 25 minutes after he left with the trash can that he came back with it. So the part where the last part that we see him with the ski mask on is at 322. So that's only like eight minutes. Either way, I really think it was 25 minutes. But after about 25 minutes, he comes back with a trash can, puts that up somewhere, and then does a lot more walking around changing of clothes, sitting in the parking lot, walking some more. And then from there, we know that he went to this place called BJ's Wholesale Club and got him a drink. While he was walking around, you could also see him in the footage stop and just like shoot the shit with this kid that he knew from church. And the kid that he talks to was homeschooled but played soccer there. And like, you can just see them like chit-chatting and they're just talking about what they're going to do for the weekend. Like, it's like, it's no big deal that we know that he just dumped this body in the woods and assaulted her with a fucking tree branch. So from there, he goes to BJ's Wholesale Club, gets himself a little drink, steals a scuba knife. And then from there, he uses Colleen's credit card to get himself some food at Wendy's. Then from there is when he goes to the movies. And again, he uses Colleen's credit card to buy that movie ticket. So, of course, they end up charging him with the murder of Colleen. Now, there was some back and forth in the trial about whether his confession to police should be admissible because they say it's fruit of the poisonous tree and that he should have never been in police custody, period. And from the moment that the police stopped to check on him, this kid walking down the road with their blue lights on, it became a stop and not just like a, hey, are you okay type thing. But the prosecutor argued, okay, no, this is a dark road that's very hilly. This was right at the top of a hill. And so it's not safe because the people coming over it can't see that police car. And so they had their lights on for safety. And if there's a 14-year-old walking down the street and the police don't stop and ask them questions at 1230 at night, we have a bigger problem. And well, not a bigger problem, but we have a problem. And so it ended up getting eliminated from the trial because they said 
it wasn't admissible. That's pretty shitty. Well, I see what they're saying that they, I mean, if they took him in, into custody without an arrest or whatever, then okay. He had bloody weapons on him. Right. Panties. The like, credit they, card and driver's license of some, someone that did not belong to him. That right there should be enough, even yeah. if it's just for theft. Right. But they had already found the body that uh, they belonged to. Well, here's the thing, though. They found the body in Danvers. This is Topsfield, so it's different. Mm. You know, it's different. Yeah. So they didn't necessarily know, I don't think, that they had found the body. I bet they did. Like, No, I really think that they didn't. Oh, though. really? Yeah. I would just, just thinking that, like, how far, they're not far apart, though, right? They're pretty far apart. I mean, they're oh. like 20 minutes. Okay, yeah, they, yeah, that makes sense, then. But still, yeah, they're not his. His attorneys tried to claim an insanity plea, and it didn't work. They said that he was in the throes of a psychosis, and he couldn't help it. And that it was all related to mental illness that ran in his family, he just happened to have planned to have latex gloves on and multiple outfit changes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was that. You didn't come to school with a box cutter, a mm-hmm. knife, multiple outfits so that you could, you know, change when you got blood on you. And like you said, the gloves and not right. have a plan. Right. So the thing, the other debate that was kind of a big debate in the trial was that when did Colleen actually pass? Because if she was still alive in the woods, then it would up the rape charge because of the heinous, heinousness, I don't know if that's a word, but the heinousness of him using the object in the woods. And so there was a debate on whether or not she had already passed from her wounds in the bathroom. Basically, they said they think that the strangulation came first and then the stab wounds, because the stab wounds nicked three major vessels, and then it would have been basically impossible to have strangled her with the amount of blood. They said, at the very least, she was completely unconscious because of the asphyxiation and the blood loss, but essentially it was like impossible that she would have still been alive in the woods. So they ended up dropping that extra, like, heinous rape charge. So they had charged him with... Murder, two counts of aggravated rape, and armed robbery. They ended up sentencing him to 25 years for the murder, and then 40 additional years for the rape, and 40 years for the robbery. Now, those two 40-year sentences are to be served concurrently. So, in case you're new to true crime, you're here for the paranormal, a concurrent sentence is different than a consecutive sentence in that the time counts together. So a consecutive sentence would be he'd have to serve the first 25 years and then 40 and then 40. Whereas with a concurrent, it all runs together. So the 25 years of for the murder counts along with those 40-year sentences. So based on this, he would be eligible to be released when he was 54. Now what we didn't find out in the trial, because it would be to prejudice for the jury was that while Philip was being held in the juvenile detention center jail thingy awaiting trial, he basically committed the same crime. So 
he he was supposed to attend some classes while he was there, and this day he was refusing. He had to sit and study at this table, kind of in like an open day room with like the tables and the chairs. And how it was set up, there was like this little wall where a guard sat beside so that they could see down this hallway and then they could see in this room. And on this particular day, it was a 29-year-old female guard, and I don't know her name. At one point, the guard gets up to go use the bathroom, and it's inside like the staff locker room area. Philip gets up, looks around, makes sure that like no staff's around, and kicks off his sandals so he's quieter, follows this guard into the bathroom. He had a pencil in his hand, and as soon as she came out of the bathroom into the locker room area, he basically pounced on her and started strangling her, and she could not move against him. He banged her head on the cinder block wall, and she can't even scream because he's holding so tight on her throat. He stabs her with the pencil. She had kind of got managed to get away a little bit. He punches her in the face, the head, the jaw. Like, he's beating her up. And because she was able to get away a little bit, she was finally able to scream. And some of the other guards heard her and were able to rush in there and literally save her life. She survived with pretty minimal physical wounds. And he ended up being charged with attempted murder by strangulation, assault with intent to murder, kidnapping and two counts of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon because of the pencil and the wall that he hit her head on. And I could not find anything on how this was settled. So I don't know if he took a plea. I don't know if it still hasn't gone to trial yet. I don't know. But if he gets convicted of even one of those, he's never going to see the light of day again. Like he will never be out. Even though he was eligible to be out when he's 54 from poor Colleen's murder, with this charge on top of him, attempted murder, kidnap, and all that of a fucking guard, he ain't ever getting out. And literally while he's in prison for doing this to a teacher. This is just such a heartbreaking story that just rocked the Danvers area and the school and You know, it seems like from the interviews that I've read that, I mean, they were never the same. The school was never the same. The principal was never the same. The girl that they interviewed on the first degree, it was her senior year, and she said she didn't go to prom. She opted to have her diploma mailed to her. Like, the school was closed for, I think, like three weeks. They had to offer trauma counseling. At first, they said they were going to have trauma counseling available for a week, and they ended up having it for the rest of the school year for kids. I mean, people were really impacted by the horrific nature of this crime, but also a 14-year-old. I mean, there was, you know, it was like, should he be tried as an adult? Should he not? But of course, he ended up being a child as an adult. But it's like, no, this was like serial killer behavior. You know, the planning with the the clothes and the gloves and then taking her to the woods and doing the, what, all the shit he did with her in the woods and then doing it again. Basically the exact same thing again by following another young female into a bathroom and attacking Mm -hmm. her. And the same thing I have no doubt would have happened to that guard had the other guards not intervened. Right, right. 
and the the planning too of let me take my shoes off so mm-hmm. that I can walk in here more quietly and she won't hear me and be able to react. Yeah. And like I said, he was doing alibi stuff. He went and got that ticket. Yes. Did not go and see that movie. He just knew, hey, I need to have a ticket. Like, I need to have been here. Someone see me. Right. But then still dumb 14-year-old logic Uh because he used her credit card. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you committed this crime in a school with over 100 cameras. Like, everything is on camera except for what happened in the bathroom because that's fucking illegal mm-hmm. to put a camera in there. Like they can't, they can't even angle the camera towards the door because you can't see what happens when the door opens. Right. You know? Yeah. So literally everything that could possibly have been called on camera was. Yeah. So it's like dumb 14 year old logic, mm-hmm. but the logic is there for yeah. the most part. And so that's why, you know, there's no insanity plea here. You knew right from wrong because yep. you, planned everything and you may have decided like okay this day is the day i'm gonna do it because you talked about tennessee but you had some plans because oh yeah you had like a backpack and i think a drawstring backpack you had 14 sets of clothes you had the gloves like you had everything planned mm-hmm. and you talked to your friends as you were going and coming like it was fucking nothing yep like that is some fucking serial killer behavior that's so scary I'm so glad he was caught, though. I mean, how could he have not been? You know, I mean, other than like fleeing Getting somewhere. away, yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. But it's like, so even though all that stuff, like the confession and all was eliminated from the trial, they had him because they had the video evidence. Mm-hmm. And I still even think like his his defense was not to deny it. It was trying to get his sentence lessened and him right. off on an insanity plea. So he went to a psychiatric facility and not adult prison. right. Which I think they still go to juvenile prison until they're like 20-something, and then they go into adult. Wow. But clearly, that juvenile prison wasn't enough for him because he did the same mm-hmm. fucking thing. Send his ass up there with the adults. Because, Ugh. again, you make adult decisions, you face adult consequences. Yeah, 100%. Wow. Yeah, so thank you so much, Ashlyn, for the recommendation. This story was heavy, so... Go watch Finding Nemo or something. <laughs> yes, definitely. Go listen to the bloopers if you're on Patreon. Do something that's funny so that you can get this heavy, heavy story off your mind and your heart. But I, like I will say, if you watch the video, just be prepared. Like, again, I know sometimes stuff that, like, you're like, why did that affect you as much? And you can talk about, the like, the darkest things. But this was one of those videos where I was just like, shit. Watching him with the ski mask and watching him put those fucking gloves on when I knew what he was walking in that bathroom to do, mm. it was just, it just hit differently. Yeah, it's chilling. How she said, watch Nemo or something. We actually watched the Unsolved Mysteries that I talked about one night on the watch party that we do every Sunday. So if you're available on Sunday nights at 730 Central, we watch all kinds of different shows. P.M. Yeah, it's 7.30 Central PM. It goes usually till about 9.30 Central PM. Sometimes it stops at 8.30. Yeah, it, it really depends on what we watch. I mean, if you were on it Sunday, uh, I tried to do it on my Kindle and uh, no shade Kindle, but my words were backwards. Like not all, not the letters, the actual words themselves were in a She was Yoda. Yeah, it was like a put your thing down, flip and reverse it of the words, but the letters within the words were straight. I don't know what happened. Yes. 
It was hilarious. So there's all kinds of shenanigans. So hop onto the watch party. It's free. Literally anybody, if you're in the Facebook group, Teresa Brundage, Creep Mom, posts it every Sunday. You can just click on the link and join in. You're out your face. You're just talking to us like we're AOL friends. Yep, definitely. So check all that out. And thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.